After the Good Friday liturgy, I went to get a quick takeout lunch from a local spot not far from here. And uh, when I arrived, the cashier, a young man, very friendly, seeing my clericals, he asked, where's your church? I said, well, it's St. George's Episcopal Church. It's just right over there. I pointed in our direction. I said, uh, do you go to church? He said, well, uh, I kind of go with my girlfriend sometimes to her church. I said, well, that's great. You know, it's a big Sunday this weekend. He said, uh, what do you mean? I said, it's Easter Sunday. He said, wait, what? Are y'all doing that? <laughs> of course, we're doing Easter Sunday here at St. George's. Alleluia, Christ is risen. That joyful announcement is the most important thing about all of reality. And yet, I just heard the sound of my alleluia echo back from a vacant church, bounce off of empty pews. It is Easter Sunday, and despite what you see behind me, what I am looking at is cold and colorless and very still in here. You don't need me to point out that this is unlike any Easter day we can remember. Most of you have never missed being in church on Easter Sunday in your entire lives. So what does Alleluia mean when we cannot all shout it together in one another's company? So I am missing Easter Day as Easter Day is supposed to be. I miss you all in these pews. I know you miss it. I know you miss us all being together. The packed pews with the extra chairs in the aisles, the glorious triumphant hymns filling this room as we all sing together, the brass and the timpani, the children flowering in the cross, the brunch with choir singers between the big services, the endless parade of people coming down to this altar rail, the seersucker, the bright dresses, the lovely hats. You know, I think I even miss Brent Neal's white Elvis shoes on Easter Sunday today. What does Alleluia really mean when we cannot all shout it together? What do we love the most when all that we are missing today makes you almost want to cry, even though this is supposed to be about joy? I almost did cry earlier this morning when I pulled into here into an empty parking lot that I knew would remain empty all day long. Well, it's bad, but the world has seen worse, one might say. Well, let us take care not to confuse a kind of stiff upper lip countenance with courage to confess honest sadness about our losses this season, losses of many kinds. 
Obviously, with all the social distancing, I've had a lot fewer personal interactions over the last month, but I'm paying close attention to the ones that I am having with a meal delivery person, a construction worker, text messages with an old high school classmate, over the telephone with a parishioner, on a Zoom appointment. And in a lot of them, what I am noticing is that the person may just blurt out almost as a non sequitur. Hey, do you mind if I ask you something? And then I know that a God question is coming. Hey, can I ask you something? Do you, do you think that our prayers are making a difference? Do you believe coronavirus is God's judgment? What do you believe heaven is like? People are thinking about God a lot in these days. Their relationship to God and their relationship to his church. COVID-19 has raised the God question, and with that always comes this question. What is our image of God? Where do we get our image of God? Often it does not come, often it does not come from God, actually, that we get our images. Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor has written in a book about her early image of God, and she says this, in Sunday school, I learned to think of God as a very old, white-bearded man on a throne who stood above creation and occasionally stirred it with a stick. A faraway and perhaps fickle God who on occasion perhaps for his own entertainment, stirs our world with a stick like a simmering pot of stew. Maybe like now, we are being stirred. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Well, it was cold and colorless and very still there that morning as well. And one can also imagine that they shed tears as they approached. This was not the way things were supposed to be. And suddenly there was a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone. The realization that the tomb of Jesus is empty is accompanied by an earthquake. Two guards who are supposed to be on watch are so shaken by the event that they faint. So there's nothing familiar. There's nothing sunny and sweet about the Easter event as it unfolds. In fact, not unlike right here, right now, and in this strange time that we're all living through, the tonal atmosphere described in Matthew's account of Jesus' resurrection is not warmth, it's not light, it's not familiarity. It is a new reality that shakes the very foundations of everything we thought we knew or thought we had under control, our lives and our world. The women get it and don't get it. They know the empty tomb is earth-shaking, but don't know exactly how 
Not, not yet. So frantically they run off like frightened deer to tell the disciples. Only before they get very far, they run into Jesus, raised from the dead. Matthew's gospel here notes a very curious detail. The two Marys drop to the ground and grab hold of the risen Lord's feet. Yes, this is obviously a worshipful response. But at the same time, it's not clear, it's not clear to me in reading the text that the women understand. Surely he was dead. We saw it. But no, wait, he's not dead. Was it just a, a temporary disruption, a temporary separation, the arrest, the trial, the horrible crucifixion, all that, terrible, but now it's over and he's here again. Wow, a happy ending after all. This is amazing. He's back. Is that how we might regard the coronavirus pandemic? Terrible, but temporary. Things will eventually settle down and go away, and we can return to normal again. Well, if so, that would be good news, but a very far cry from the good news. Another curious detail in Matthew's account of that first Easter, Jesus does not linger with the women there. He is on the move. He says that he is going on ahead of his disciples and will meet them back in Galilee. What does that mean? The risen Jesus returns to where it all begins, to Galilee, where he grew up, where he called his disciples, where on lush green hills and along the shore of Galilee's big lake, he preached and he performed so many miracles and provided powerful glimpses of the kingdom coming. And now it has. The risen Lord Jesus is God's power and promise to return back to all of our past, all of our former living, to bind up what is broken, whatever went awry, what still hurts. What drove you away? The risen Lord returns to where all that began for you, to pull all of that forward into a new present and into the promise of a new future, eternal life where you will never be separated from the love of God. So the Lord Jesus is no old man with a stick. He is a crucified man who has borne our sins and our sorrows unto himself and been raised to take all of that with him up into heaven, leaving us free and liberated from it, the promise of new life now and everlasting life. This is the gospel. This is who God is. Jesus is the image because Jesus is God as God really is. So in the past week, I knew that I would be preaching today in this context in front of empty pews. So I was trying to visualize all the people 
who might be tuning in right now. It's a very different exercise, by the way, for the preacher when we cannot see your faces and read your bodies and visually and emotionally connect or see that we're not connecting uh, with friends, people who are like family to me from my years of being here and, and celebrating this day in particular with you. But I've also been trying to visualize all of those who may be alone, especially. Those who may be sick or fearful of getting sick, who may be anxious, downcast, again, afraid. But God seems to have put it on my heart to be particularly mindful of those who are watching this live streaming worship and aren't really sure where you stand with God or your belief or where you stand with the church. Some of this we can track here with our own data and statistics. That only God knows your heart and your questions, your doubts, perhaps your indifference, but perhaps more likely your yearning, your yearning to encounter the risen Lord Jesus especially now, especially in this time. Again, this season, I think, is cracking open spaces in our lives to ask the big questions. Who is God? What is God like? And what is my life right now in relationship to that? When our world perhaps slowly returns back to some semblance of normalcy, back to Galilee, if you will, what actually will be different? I don't mean what will be different with the world and with the church, quite a lot, I predict, but I'm asking what will be different for you and your life? I'm asking that question of myself. What an opportunity we all have right now to ask the God questions and to take prayerful time to see if this Easter God, whose image is finally and definitively a crucified and risen Jesus, will respond to you. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary experienced a miraculous response. And when it happened, they fell down and grabbed his feet. They got it, and they didn't get it until they did. I imagine they looked at the feet that they were holding. His feet had wounds, and they were warm. And then they began to move out from where he stood. He calls us this day this season to do the same.